I'm Ty Tamel, and I'm going off script with Stuart Semple. What does the artist do in society? People think of art as something that must be beautiful, it must be entertaining, it must be challenging. I think that art could be useful. Artists are actually, they're important. How can they contribute? How can they participate? How can they show up? They hold a mirror up to the world we're in and they document how it felt to be here now. I like the idea that artists can express themselves with whatever they want. If Tiffany can market at me and advertise to me, then why can't I use that and remix that? For too long, these people have been showing up and want the best of both worlds. Whether people paint with Tiffany blue or not doesn't change how many rings Tiffany are going to sell this Christmas. It's a copyright infringement when I start selling rings that say Tiffany on them. I'm literally dying. Everything they tried sort of didn't work. I flatlined completely died then was back moments like that you you find yourself bargaining with some higher power if you make me live i'll make art how about that Stuart, how are you my friend i'm all right yeah it's good to be with you thank you thanks so much for coming on the show i've been looking forward to talking to you because a lot of your art i feel is extremely thought-provoking and you talk about this social function that art should have and i just wanted to mm. delve in about like kind of where your thought process is oh. of that but before we go in, mm. as of every episode, I'm trying to take it a little bit back with a bit of background. So mm. childhood, what was childhood like for you? Growing up, school? I don't know. I mean, it was it was an interesting, I mean, it, everyone's childhood's different, isn't it? So I sort of grew up in what you could call a poor working class family, I suppose, is how you define it. But mm-hmm. poor, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but poor in terms of money, but rich in terms of love. And I think that was really important. I was very academic which people find very weird. So it's interesting. Super smart. Like out of the whole county, I got like the highest score in my SATs. Really? Yeah. So my whole school and my parents and everything really wanted me to like go be a doctor and do this kind of thing. So my whole childhood was spent sort of in two worlds. So I had this sort of art thing going on and this passion for art, which kind of came from my grandmother more than anything else. And then this super high achieving academic thing. And I almost sort of hid the art for most of my childhood, but mm-hmm. it was the thing that I really loved. That's so that really was weird. interesting. Yeah. So you've academically very intelligent. You always like art, but you hide it. Why are you hiding it? Is that a social fitting in yeah, element? Yeah, I or think is that so. A- because I think there's a few things. I think the first thing is like artists don't get paid and they end up chopping their ear off and die, <laughs> which is yeah. basically what my parents told me. And also I didn't realise that people were alive and making art. I thought it was all in the history books. So I went to see a Van Gogh at the National Gallery when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But I also saw, uh, and, and it obviously it was, it, I thought he was like a dodo, you know, because it was in a museum. I didn't realise people were still making stuff. And it wasn't until I was a teenager that I saw contemporary art living people making things so I didn't really realize it could really be a profession so it's just this sort of private thing I did in my room to make sense of my life but it was never really going to be a job or anything real you know I've never thought of it like that but now you've said it it resonates with me growing up all the artists you were taught about are not alive anymore yeah it was always in history museums or history books about the art they did yeah it's just like a dinosaur bones like you walk through and all that one was painted 1500s and it's some boring thing and when you started doing some art as a nipper in your bedroom yeah how old are we talking well i always drew and painted so 
literally from... I just didn't stop. I mean, every kid's doodling yeah, yeah, crayons, yeah. right? So, so that. And then I guess when I was about seven or eight, I really, really fantasized about this set of oil paints that are in the window of this shop that I'd walk past. Okay. And one day I came home and like they were on my bed and my parents had got them. And um then I started like copying Van Gogh paintings using sticks and stuff and I just went all in at that point and it was just all I wanted to do. Wow. So the initial stuff that you were painting were kind of like imitations of the famous yeah paintings out there. Yeah. What was the first thing you remember painting or drawing that was kind of your own mm. that's really interesting I, I don't think i sort of found my own voice in painting until i was probably 18 or 19 got you you know i could draw a shoe at art school or a set of objects or i could copy something but it, it wasn't me saying anything got so you. i think it was a lot later what about school how was school for you really tough yeah um, school was terrible so in those days, if you were a geeky weirdo like me, you just got picked on, mm. basically. You just didn't fit in. I mean, now it's cool to be different, but, but in, at that age, it really isn't. Um, so it was really tough. And um, whilst I was academically very smart as well, I was like the square, straight, stiff kid who obviously got picked on for being in all these top classes for yeah. things. And at the same time, I was obsessed with like music and art and culture. So it's, I had... I didn't really fit in either way, you know. I couldn't really hang out with the cool kids because I was this geeky, straight science kid. And I didn't really fit in with those because I was like, but I want to listen to Nirvana. Yeah, I love Nirvana. Right, so <laughs> I just... It was, I was just on and my I own. I haven't admitted that for years either. Yeah. <laughs> but I was a loner, basically. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because that era as well, you've got like... I feel like the creative kids weren't as cool in that in the era you were probably at school and even that I was at school. I don't mm. know what our age difference is, to be honest. How old are you? 142. I'm 34, so it's not too different. Yeah. But like like you said now, the creative kids are the cool kids now. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you were creative a decade ago or two decades ago, you were, you were a bit of like an outcaster, a bit weird. Totally, yeah, yeah. You didn't Definitely. quite fit into the norm. No, not at That's all. That's why I found it interesting. So you've, you're academically very intelligent, but you're also creative, which is a really unique mix and your parents in the era wanting you to be a doctor or lawyer i think that's pretty normal as well for the times oh definitely because you want what's best for your kid yeah. and like we were you living to earn and they probably yeah. don't think you can earn from art yeah they, they believed that and how was your relationship with your parents pretty good yeah yeah really good on the whole yeah they supported so. the art stuff when you came out saying that you no. wanted to do it no <laughs> no so yeah, I mean, that was a really fractious thing. And it's interesting that you say came out and said you want to do it because it really felt like that. So yeah. there was a point in my teenage years where it was like, you know what, I want to do art. And I remember driving in the car with my mum and my mum was a university lecturer, sociologist. Okay. Um, that's a whole other amazing story, by the way, about my mum. But driving around and I said, you know, I don't want to do A-levels. You know, I want to go to art school. And it was like, you're going to die. And it was this really emotional thing and I enrolled to do the A-levels to please her really and I did these four A-levels and also the art course so I did both and actually I dropped out of the A-levels and I stayed at the art college and I wasn't actually enrolled at the art college for the full-time course but I just didn't leave and I kind of populated an area and I remember the head of department going Stuart you're not not enrolled you know and you're, you're <laughs> under 18 I, I need your mum to sign this form or you can't come was she signing it no and they, no, they managed to talk her into it. Okay. And, and it did get signed. 
and then obviously you know she, my mum became a great supporter of my work and understood what I was doing and you know was was proud of me later but yeah. at that time it wasn't easy I, I say the term came out about it because I feel like when we're growing up our parents sort of probably have unintentionally some expectations of us. You know, what's a societal norm? What have they grown up seeing? Yeah. And you're obviously veering off from, she's, you know, an, a university lecturer, as you said. Mm -hmm. So she probably presumed you'd go down that route. Yeah. Do you think that until they understand, they didn't support? Is that just because they probably didn't understand? Yeah, they didn't understand. And, you know, I could have become a doctor. No problem. Yeah. You know? But it was wow. what was in my heart, you know. Like, so your grandma's the reason you started painting? Mm. She used to paint? Yeah, so my grandmother painted, but she also had art books. All okay. the Impressionists, Pizarro, sculptors like Rodin. So I saw all of that. And she grew up in India and she had amazing stories. Wow. Yeah, and oh, yeah, I used to spend a lot of time with her. And then my granddad, his dad was a carpenter, so he was very handy and he made stuff in his garden mm -hmm. garage. Yeah, yeah. So every weekend I'd be with my granddad, like making something like a birdhouse or a magic table or something. So I started, I'd paint all the things. And so I said, yeah, I was always kind of making. So I had my nana with the art and then my granddad with like this Arts making craft, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grandparents are the best. Yeah, they? brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are the best. If you weren't doing art, what would you be doing? I don't, I don't no. Honestly, nothing else. I'd that... Nothing. I'd be dead. Like, <laughs> I think so, because there's nothing else I could really do. Well, it sounds like you could do quite a bit in, from an academic perspective, but I guess it's what you enjoy doing. Yeah, I mean, I could get a job in a bookshop or something. Yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you grew up in Bournemouth, right? Yeah. And your art, you've kind of travelled everywhere around the world yeah. doing your art, but what's made you resettle in sort of Dorset and Bournemouth? When you yeah, could be anywhere really in the world. Question. I mean, there's lots of things. I sort of realised that as I've got a bit older and I've, you know, got family now that I sort of, that London changed a lot, which mm. is a huge thing. And when I first moved there, I lived in Shoreditch. I was part of a very vibrant art scene that slowly changed through sort of gentrification, politics, how the government treated the closure of certain places that we'd hang out, all the nightclubs changed. The whole scene was different. And I really felt like, actually, I'm paying all this money to be in this city, but I was working internationally. So all my work was going to China, I was going mm. to Italy, New York. So I was like, actually, London's not relevant to me anymore. And um, I always loved it here. I, I actually love it. I really love where I live. Yeah, I love it. I, yeah. think, I think we're very, very lucky to live where we yeah. live. Yeah. At what point do you think, I'm just trying to think then, I'm just taking it back a little bit. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that the art took off for you? As in, not you enjoying to do it, but actually getting noticed by people or mm. maybe starting to sell a few pieces or, you know, like it being yeah. in shows and stuff. When yeah, did you well, become that, kind of famous for your art, I guess? Yeah, I don't know. So so there's two parts to that. I think the first thing was I, when I was studying, I had a near-death experience. And okay. we, we can talk about that, which yeah. is interesting. But, but following the near-death experience, I said to myself, I'm going to be a professional artist. And I made this promise to myself. Mm -hmm. I had this little terrace house that I was renting. And I said to myself, every week when the landlord comes over, I'm going to have, I think it was like £60, I would have it. And it will only be from art. And that was the rule. Wow. Um, and I read, um, it's quite interesting, you might be into this, but it was a Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. Yes. I read that. Yes. And there was a part in that book where he talks about sort of burning your bridges. And I was like, you know what? The only way I'm going to do this is with my art. So I discovered putting my things on eBay and um, I made three pictures a day as okay. a way to cope because I had this big mental health thing going on after the near-death thing. 
and I put three pictures a day on eBay and they sold. By the time I was 21, I'd sold 3,000 original works of art on eBay to people all over the world. Wow. Um, and that Huge achievement. Yeah. I mean, they weren't expensive things. It, you know, they were like 30 Still. quid, and tw- but I always had the money. And I felt like I was a professional artist. And then in terms of like fame or getting known for it, that's very gradual. That's like 20 years of keep it's not like it. an overnight thing like no, you see on television or anything not for me in any way no. no very gradual talk to me about that near-death experience yeah what happened there you happy to talk yeah, about it yeah, yeah i yeah. can talk about it um i just want to say it right really so i was studying in the yorkshire sculpture park um, my degree and i had to always this strange feeling that if i came home to see my mum something weird would happen it's really strange so i'd always put it off okay and then um I was traveling down and I bought a sandwich from motorway service station and I ate it and I was allergic to it. And um, my lips swelled up, my throat swelled up, my tongue swelled up, I couldn't breathe. And I was in a car with my girlfriend at the time and we decided it'd be faster if I got on the train. But we didn't have enough money for both of us to get the train, so I got the train on my own. So I'm getting this train on my own, literally dying on the train. Get out, somehow get into a cab, sort of flop on my mum's doorstep, haven't seen her for the best part of a year. I'm literally dying and they take me to the hospital and they try to treat it like an allergy with adrenaline and cortisone or whatever, which didn't really work. And um, they took me up to a ward, which was really interesting because it was the ears, nose, throat ward yeah, so yeah. that they could watch my throat, which is really like, why would I be there? And everything they tried sort of didn't work. Like it wasn't responding like an allergy. And they were sort of said to me, look, Stuart, like, it's not a case of like if you're going to go, it's when you're going to go. So we've invited your family in and all the rest of it. So at the age of like, well, I was a teenager, you know, I go through this like saying goodbye to my sister and my nana and my mum. And then I don't even know. And then they left. And it was like two in the morning. And the doctor came and he'd got this bag of like plasma stuff from another hospital. And he said, you know, I've got this idea, it's a last ditch thing, but I reckon if we put this like drip on you, it might do something. Because they just couldn't, it was just closing up. Like, just they couldn't, didn't, so they didn't know what was going on really. They couldn't get their head around it. Uh, it wasn't doing what normally happens. Normally they give you the adrenaline and you're yeah. all right, but it wasn't doing that. Antihistamine or something. Yeah, it wasn't doing that. And they, um, so they gave me this bag, this drip. And I was allergic to it. So my whole body just hived out and I flatlined, completely died. Yeah, I just died. And then was back and was like, if I live, this is going to sound really corny, but I was like, you know, but it's going to sound stupid. But if I live, I'm going to make art. That was a deal. So this sounds really strange. I don't believe in God, but moments like that, you, you, find yourself bargaining with some higher power yeah and you're like i tell you what if you make me live i'll make art how about that wow so so then i was in this mad situation where i'd made this odd deal with some sort of weird divinity that this is what i was going to do so i came out of hospital couldn't speak for a few weeks everything was really kind of manky and they tested me to see what i was allergic to and in those days it wasn't like it is now it wasn't like lab based they'd pinprick your back lots of stuff and And see which one flares sees which one flares up and they tested me for 110 things and 55 of them pinged up and they couldn't tell me which of the 50 percent of things in the world would kill me so this is when all the anxiety disorder 
started making this new kind of art that actually felt like it was mine as a way to cope. And that's wow. kind of what happened. Yeah. Wow. That's the story of that. Do you remember anything from that flatlining? Mm. Did you see anything? You know they say about these out-of-body experiences? Yeah, so I've, I've read every book you can find I on I can it. imagine. Like, do you recall any of that? Yeah, I do. So it's not like my experience of it wasn't typical of what I've heard other people say. So there's no tunnel, there's no life flashing behind, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. You're not floating above looking at yourself. No, but what it was was like, I can't really describe it, like consciousness itself was becoming one with everything. So I was losing a sense of in individuality. Mm -hmm. So I was becoming everything gradually, and it was wow. very, very beautiful and very, very nice. But this is the interesting thing. I felt like I had a decision, and I didn't go along with it. I was like, no, no, no. And I came back. Wow. And I felt like I had a, I felt like I was in control of that experience. Now, if I'd have been a bit older, if it had happened to me a bit further in life, I was 60, 70, and I've done everything I wanted it, I would have absolutely have drifted into it because it go. was it was beautiful. But I felt I had the choice. So it was almost like drawing you in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've consciously gone, "No, I'm not ready for this yet." Yeah, not right now. I'm going back. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we're going to jump ahead here now, but I was going to ask you about the work you do with Mind. Mm. You're an ambassador for yeah, yeah. My, National Mind, a mental yeah. health ambassador. I am for Dorset Mind, the local Great, version. Yeah. How and why that came about was one of the questions I was going to ask mm. you, but judging by that, I'm guessing that after that experience, you struggled a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But that's not why I ended up working with Mind. Okay, fine. But, but, um, but yeah, I did. So I really struggled. So here you've got a teenage male who's nearly died and has been told he's basically could be allergic to anything and it might happen again at any time so what happens is you instantly get an eating disorder because you're scared to put anything in your body that might kill you you're scared to go out and touch anything and very quickly you get a full-blown anxiety disorder now the thing that people who haven't experienced anxiety might not understand is the actual symptoms are extremely physical your throat closes, your breathing increases, it's hard to swallow, you sweat, things get a bit blurry. It's exactly like an allergy. Mm -hmm. It's indistinguishable. Yeah, I think a lot of people wouldn't realise that. When you say anxiety, they probably think of... Yeah, so it can be extremely physical. Mm -hmm. So when I would have a panic attack or anxiety, it would feel like an allergy. So my system would go, oh my God, it's happening again. You're going to die. So it'd be like, oh God, I can't swallow. Oh shit, I'm allergic to something. Oh no. And it would just go in these cycles. And I was calling the ambulance like, I'd say four times a week. And they'd take me in and they didn't realize it was a mental health problem. This has gone for ages. I'm going in. Oh, so they're looking for physiological yeah, issues with you? They're looking, is it swelling? What's going on? We'll treat it like an allergy. We look at his paper. Oh, yeah, he nearly died from an allergy. He's clearly freaking out. It's an allergy. Let's give him the antihistamine. Let's give him a shot of adrenaline. Let's keep him in overnight. It was happening again and again and again. And then one young doctor, trainee doctor, one day said, do you know what? I'm not convinced it's an allergy. I was like, what? Of course it is. I had never even heard of anxiety, right? I'd never heard of mental health. Not even used those words. Well, we're talking 20 years ago as it well. It didn't exist. Mm. It wasn't a word. So I was like, right, okay. What does that mean? How do I cope with that? You know? So that's when I started to realise that there was a psychological element to this whole thing and that the trauma I'd been through had probably set off a chain reaction in my body. What a scary cycle that must be to go through. Yeah, yeah. 
there's two parts of this. One, how did you get over that? Like, what, mm. what did you need to do to kind of be happy within yourself again so you not keep experiencing that? Was there something mm. in particular you did to sort of there's, kind of I, overcome I, that? I don't think there's any, like, one thing. Mm. Um, but the art really helped. So Expressing yourself. Yeah. So I made these things every day. And they were just a way to externalize what I was feeling. Even if I didn't fully understand it, it just got something out. So I made these three things a day and I put them on eBay because it was the only place you could put up work. And it felt like I was sharing my problems uh, with others in yeah. a way and, and others kind of related to it. And it, I guess it was like a talking therapy in some strange way. But it's almost like uh, your version of journaling. I know yeah, we spoke yeah, yeah. about this before yeah. the podcast, but it's, it's kind of your version of journaling, Absolutely, isn't it? Expressing yeah, yourself. And I said to you then that my dad did a lot of art when I was growing up. Mm. A lot of abstract stuff, stuff that I probably didn't like at the time or understand. But when I look back now, some of it was quite dark and I feel like actually he was probably expressing himself. Yeah, it must have been. To like getting off his chest what was going yeah. on. It's interesting. Yes. How about, I mean, you said you had to say goodbye to your family and parents. Yeah. What is that like? I can't, I, I can't, there's nothing worse. I can't even imagine. About. I mean, and it was really... Um, you, you know, you read these quotes where they say sort of, if I said to you, you had 30 days left to live, how would you live? Yeah. You've kind of experienced that in yeah. real terms. Yeah, but, you know, there's no warning. But I think the other thing is you sort of, you're on a lot of drugs. You're very sort of out out of your mind. You don't really know what's going on. You've been in hospital. You haven't really been sleeping. Your body feels weird. So the whole thing's very disjointed and kind of like it's not rational like we are now. Yeah. And then later on, like my mum passed away a couple of years ago and I, I was with her when she went and, and I – did say goodbye to her, but it was a very different thing. We knew it was coming and we prepared for that. And this was very sudden. Yeah. So and too know. early almost. Yeah, just weird. It's not when you expect that to be happening. No, you know? I know. The, the part of that when you're explaining it that kind of resonated with me is I don't believe in any God as such. Um, only because I feel like it divides people when you label mm. a religion. But you are right. Whenever anyone's in any form of real trouble or overwhelmed they're always pleading with this greater power right yeah it's yeah. it's almost like a natural thing you know if i'm if i want you not something nothing to happen to you i'm like oh please you know let's hope nothing happens to Stuart. But who am i saying please to exactly yeah yeah it's really interesting <laughs> it's an interesting concept isn't it Who, who's what's this being or this spirit that i'm talking yeah. to this greater power is it even hearing me or is it our way of our brain tricking ourselves to calm ourselves down by doing that yeah of course it's really intriguing. It's I really find. intriguing. And that was one of the big questions that came out of that. Because you, you have. And you an, still don't believe in God. That's not made um, you feel. No, I, I don't think I believe in God, but I, I do believe in, a, in a, an awareness or a universal something. Something. An energy. But yeah, that, that there is some sort of source of things, but I wouldn't use words like God or, or anything like that. I'm so the I suppose I had a lot of questions after it, and I read a lot of books. So. I dropped out of art school. So I'm an art school dropout, which is also interesting. Interesting. <laughs> um, make of that what you will. Um, so I don't have the debt that all the other kids who went to yeah. art school have got. But I took my own education. Or the degree. Or the degree. But I took my own education really seriously. So I deliberately moved next to Borders Bookshop. And okay. in those days, you could go and sit in Borders and read everything. Mm -hmm. So I'd buy, buy a coffee in the morning and sit there. I actually read the entirety of the spirituality section, the marketing section, and the art section, and then went home and painted for eBay. So eBay funded my three-year education. Um, wow. And yeah, and I found really interesting things in all of those sections, but the spirituality section was where I was really trying to answer, what's this experience that I had? Mm -hmm. How was I still aware 
even when I was dead? Like, how does that happen? Why did awareness or my consciousness not stop? Yeah, that's hard to fathom. Like, what's going on? Like, is there any clues anywhere about that? Because that's, that's what that kind of stirred up. It's quite interesting, that. Did you find that after that experience, I know you said your art kind of changed a little bit. Did you find that it got darker, what you were drawing or your thoughts or your... No, no I, I just think... Or more enlightened or like kind of... Just more personal and, yeah. and more truthful, you know, like they just felt like they'd come out of me, like they were my things. Mm. They just felt quite honest. And I think before I was trying to dip, you know, I was going through the motions of art school, you know, like, yes, I can draw the f human form. Yes, I can draw a pair of shoes. Yes, I know how to mix different flesh tones, you know. Yeah. I know how to stretch a canvas, but I wasn't sort of like doing anything real with it. The education system is almost like in theory, isn't it? They're yeah. teaching you in theory, so you know in theory how everything works. But when you get into practical, into real life, you have to be able to apply that, and it yeah. doesn't always translate as easy as yeah. that. Yeah, and the difference was it wasn't like I was going through the motions. I needed to do it. You know, like I needed to make the art. Had to come out some way. Did you feel you'd made this bond, hadn't you? You'd promised this well, being yeah, that's or this the other spirit thing. or this thing that – if you lived for as long as you lived, you were going to make art. So did you ever get to a point where you thought like, I'm going to quit art. And then you think I can't quit art. So I'm going to get ill again if I quit or. Yeah, definitely. So did you I, have those battles. Yeah, in your yeah, head? yeah. 100%. So I actually believed fundamentally that me making things. This Kept is, you alive. Was keeping me alive. Yeah. And, wow. and was this deal. So I actually spent a long time with a therapist unpicking this. Cause I was like, this isn't healthy. Like this is a really strange route of a lot of weird behaviors. Mm -hmm that I've put my personal power in the hands of this thing that I don't even know, I don't even believe it exists yeah. to start with. And if I don't do this every day, something really bad's going to happen. And that's actually kind of fundamental in like most sort of OCDs actually is, is a sort of belief that if I don't do X, Y, and Z, X, Y, and Z's going to happen. So I'd sort of melted these two things together that were actually quite disparate. Your belief in God and your ability to stay alive are probably not really related. Yeah. Is that all dealt with now in your head? Like, you, do you have a coping mechanism for it now? Do you ever have you ever felt like that since that feeling? Has it come back? That well, like, the allergies back or the? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I still do you get, still do you still I get st those? It still happens. Yeah, I've had um, had a really I've had it. It's, it's less frequent, but a couple of times a month, I've quite a bad anxiety. Yeah. Do you? And it's normally triggered by like eating out or those kind of like. Is that because you don't know what's in the food? I, th I probably, or, but I think it's so ingrained now that it's just like the idea of like swallowing something. I don't know. So that, that, that I haven't broken. And how do you, how, let's say we're out and you're having dinner and this happens. How do you deal with it? What do you do? Do you, do you go home? Do you meditate? Do you listen to music? Do you start drawing, painting to try and calm yourself down? Um, or do you just kind of know it's going to pass now and sort well, of zone out? I found out? that before I would try and hide it. So we'd be like, you know, I show art with like posh art galleries and the, the art gallery dinners are a really big thing, right? So I'll be in the middle of like Hong Kong and they'll invite a load of billionaires and we'll be in this big long table and everyone needs me to be the artist, right? And they bring out the food and it's British food. We've got you the fish and <laughs> chips, you know? And I'm like, I can't eat it. I just please don't make me put this in my mouth. I'm just dreading the whole thing and like, I eat it. So it starts before you've even eaten. Oh, mate, just the idea of it. So then I put it in my mouth and like, I can't swallow. Oh, shit. I'm an allergy. It's not an allergy. It's anxiety. And then I'm going in this loop and, and I used to like 
pretend it was all okay. Mm-hmm. And when you bottle it up, you start to get weirder. You start twitching, you start holding things, you start clutching your body. She just looked weird, right? Yeah. So now I start to go, do you know what? I'm feeling really anxious about this. I don't think I can eat it. And that's how you fix it, just being honest about the situation and with just, yourself and the people yeah. around you. It yeah, takes yeah, a lot of courage it. to do that. It does, yeah. You're socially unacceptable at that point. Everyone else is eating and you're not. You know, I've grown to be comfortable with that. And you're given a, a, a reason that some people may not even understand because yeah. they've never experienced it or they've not, yeah. they don't sort of learn about yeah. it as much. Yeah, but I'm just really honest about it now. Wow. So how, at what point do you become a, a mental health ambassador for mine? How yeah, does that come so, about? Well, this is a completely different thing. Okay. So, so my grandmother, after we lost my granddad, who I made things with in the garden shed, she developed late onset schizophrenia. Okay. And the narrative she had going on in her head was wild. It was like some detective story and the woman upstairs was doing this and that and the other. I didn't know what to do. So I reached out to mind and they gave me really good advice and support for my nana. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, wow, they're amazing, you know. And um, I thought, you know, I'd like to thank them. So I went back on eBay and I auctioned 10 things. Um, donated it. And gave them the money, you know, just as a thank you. And they said, oh, that's really sweet. Maybe we should meet. And I met them and I said, look, you know, why aren't you doing anything with art and mental health? I mean, art really helped me. I think there's something in it. This is a long time ago. And they were like, well, it's sort of a bit anecdotal. There's not really any evidence of that. What do you mean art can help with mental health? And I thought, well, I think it can. Is it something you want to explore? And they said, well, if we're going to set up a fund for creativity and mental health, we need quite a lot of money. You know, we're going to need like 50 grand or something crazy. And I said, all right, well, I'll try and raise the money. So I created a big art show and all the contemporary artists were very generous. And we, we had a big auction and it was wonderful. And we set up the Creative Therapies Fund with Mind so that wow. they could roll out creative therapies across England and Wales for people experiencing mental health to go in a therapeutic environment and express themselves in whatever way. So it might be dance or script writing or drawing or painting. And we started to realise like it works. And now we know absolutely. this. It's normal yeah, yeah, to, to know this. Now. So, so that was it. And that's how my relationship developed through through doing that. Wow. And that fu- that's still going, is it? The creative? It's still going, yeah. Yeah, it's grown. That's and... incredible. I wonder if we've got any of that down here. Have we got it? I don't know. Can I mean, mind do that? I don't know. I think the local minds apply for, the, for, for the a same. creative grant. And yeah. not all local minds see that as an important thing. Mm. Um, and in different areas have different requirements, of course. And That's interesting. I might speak to them because mm. I think that definitely massively helped people. Oh, yeah, it's huge. I mean, it's like night and day. I mean, I've met people. It's If you'd have said, I mean, you're talking 20-odd years ago or, or something, even in those days, if you'd have said journaling helps, they'd have gone, well, there's no evidence. Oh, yeah. It was, Exercise it's, helps, there's no evidence. Because no evidence of anything back then, Yeah, really, in yeah. terms of mental health and... Yeah, yeah it's all anecdotal. It. Some of it's unmeasurable. I mean, yeah. you know, when people work out how to measure feelings, but we're not quite there yet. So no. that you're going to have to take someone's word for it, I think. Absolutely, yeah. You always talk about your art having like a social function. Yeah. And you discuss democracy and youth politics a lot. Mm. Why is that important to you? Well, I think that art could be useful. And I've sort of seen that in the, in the mental health thing, but also in society. You know, I think artists are actually, obviously, they're not more important than a doctor or a nurse or a school teacher, but they're important because they hold a mirror up to the world we're in and they document how it felt to be here now. And that's a really important thing to be doing. So if you think art could be useful or provide a social function, like what does the artist do in society? How can they contribute? How can they participate? How can they show up? 
think they're really interesting questions. Then you start to make a different type of art, an art that might be useful. Because people think of art as something that must be beautiful, it must be entertaining, it must be challenging. But could art actually be empowering in some way or, or something that connects people or brings people together, empowers the people who see it? So I'm interested in that. Interesting concept, that. Yeah. A lot of your art is thought-provoking, isn't it? I hope so. Yeah, yeah. From, what I've, from what I've seen. You have your art materials mm. business, Culture Hustle. Yeah. Now, you've shown me around. I've been lucky yeah, to see you've this. Been over, Obviously, yeah, you've Obviously, you've got the blackest paint, pinkest paint, mm. whitest paint. For any of the uh, listeners or viewers, how do you say it's the blackest paint in the world? I know you've explained to me, but how's that graded? How's that measured? What makes it the blackest paint? And if I painted it on this wall now, I think they've actually got some of your stuff in here. It's in the other room. Oh, okay. The, okay. the lab thing. How can you claim it's the blackest paint, basically, or the whitest or yeah, the pinkest? Yeah, well, you, you can measure it in a lab. I mean, it's quite simple. You shine a beam of light at something and see how much bounces back, and you, you, you get a readout. Mm -hmm. A spectrometer measures yeah. how much light bounces back off something. So a, black, a very black thing looks black because it absorbs all the light. The more light it absorbs, the blacker it looks. It's not bouncing any colour back. So the paint I made absorbs 99.8% of visible light, wow. which is almost all of it. There are materials out there that do more than that, but I'd say they're more materials than paints. Than paint. So, And what's an average black? 95? No, no, we're close, like 92 maybe. Really? So it's not even, it's nearly 10% off being black. Looks black I'd to naked so, eye, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And the white, I'm guessing it bounces the most amount of light back. Correct, yes. But what so about the pink? Just bounces a colour back. It balances a lot of pink back, yeah. Interesting. Why pink? Pink's really interesting as a colour. Okay. I think it's a really politicised colour. I think it's a really powerful colour. Yeah. I think it really makes a statement. And um, for that project, for me, the pink is pink was more of um, more of a piece of performance art. And if you think about the history of protests, you think about like some of the women's marches and stuff. It's really quite a powerful, punchy thing. It's a very loaded colour. Yeah. Pink. I mean, and, and naturally, I think in society, you link pink to female yeah, of women. That, that's kind of what, what the society leads you to believe. You know, when, you, when you've got a kid growing up, they either bring you a, a blue present or a pink present. Yeah. So it's like in, ingrained in us from a very young age. Mm -hmm. It is a very powerful colour. What colour are you going to do next? I don't know. I've been exploring a few things, but I'm, I'm really fascinated by um, really ancient colours that you can't get anymore. So in the old days, they used to make colours in really interesting ways, like uh, mummy brown was made out of ground-up mummies. and um, Really? Yeah, there was red paint made out of what they called dragon's blood. So I'm really interested in this sort of rare pigments that we can't use and, and how I can maybe bring them into a contemporary case where they're really usable paints so today's artists can use great colors from the past that we can no longer use i think and i'm really hoping useful. you make it synthetically right you're not going to put yeah, yeah but a dead we, mummy in a yeah in a, but we'll resurrect some of these ancient the same colors ancient colors yeah wow i'm really into that you do some incredible pop-ups in town mm. i've seen a few i've been lucky enough to go and visit some yeah. of the triangle stuff oh you saw it good yeah and you're building obviously a nice little art community in bournemouth i feel how are you finding support from like the community or probably more importantly the council? 
Because mm. I've had some interesting dealings yeah, with them before. I mean, there's two sides to it, I suppose. The community's fascinating because there's way more of it than I expected. Mm -hmm. So we opened the doors to the gallery that we have and, you know, they were queued all the way down the street. I remember street. seeing the queue. I was like, what is going on for art? <laughs> like I thought it was one of your club nights yeah. or something. You know, normally, normally they're... Around the corner, yeah. yeah. But no, it was for art. So there are people into it. So that's really lovely. And they've been really supportive of the gallery and they come to every show and stuff. And it's beautiful. And actually, you know, my experience with the council has been really good. They've really got behind it. Um, they seem to understand what I'm doing. They've been really supportive. I think it, in a way, though, you know, just a bit outspoken about it, it ticks a big box because they're not really providing visual culture. True. So it's sort of handed on a plate in a way. So, you know, why wouldn't they get behind it? But I do think they care about it and I think they see the value in it. Some of them. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think we could do more of it in Bournemouth, which I know you're sort of championing. Um, I've got a friend of mine that's an art dealer locally, uh -huh. um, Brad. You oh, know, I know Brad. Brad. You know Brad, yeah. yeah. He's always talking about doing some sort of like expedition or, or something. Yeah. But like, you know, using some funding from somewhere and actually doing a proper year-round something, he feels there's a, there's a need for it in Bournemouth. Yeah. And I've always kind of wanted to support that, I think, art. Oh, is very, we've got the AUB they're great mm -hmm. students that's a growing university here with the Arts yeah. Arts Institute we do a lot with them at Halo to be honest do you? Oh, good, yeah, yeah they do a lot of their um, parties and nights there and they always book like slightly alternative artists or slightly you know bands yeah, that are a bit, bit more cooler a bit, yeah. bit, bit different that we might not be able to do in the mainstream to make any sort oh, of money out good, of but, yeah. but they can do you opened an artist job centre yeah I did that's insulation. true <laughs> during COVID uh, with creatives to respond to the government that were kind of telling people to to retrain. And we had that yeah. in our industry. T talk to me about that. How did that come about? Was that with the AUB guys? No, no, it was... Um, just local? Just, no, no, I did it in London. It was in, um, it was in Covent Garden. Okay. Um, and it was uh, a piece of my work. So it was an installation. So I think it was Rishi Sunak said, retrain, yeah. reskill, reboot. That whole and campaign they that did, whole I remember. campaign yeah. was gross. And, and the whole art community was really upset. It's like, do you not understand? Like, this myth that we don't make any money and we don't contribute is totally ridiculous. I mean, you've obviously seen that in your industry as well. Yeah. It's like, we're not messing about. We make your films. Yeah. We paint your stuff. Don't think that we're, we need to retrain. Like, we spend our whole lives. We're actually really good at this. So I thought it'd be really funny to make a job centre in the centre of London for artists. And it was called the Artist Job Centre. But it was a parody. It wasn't a real job centre. And there well, were, you built it? Yeah, physically built it. It looked like a real job centre down to the last detail. So it looked like it was a 1990s tacky job centre. Wow. And in the window, it had ads for like crime scene washer, pencil sharpener, <laughs> um, and a buzzer to apply for a job. And the whole inside looked like, I mean, it looked real, right? But it, it was weird because... It looked almost too real and yeah. people thought it was real. And we had real artists like they, they were, you know, lead violinist for a symphony orchestra pressing the buzzer to apply for a job for no like way. an onion peeler. Bless them. And it was like, what the earth have we stepped into? Like, yeah. they actually would peel an onion. Just an amazing violinist. what the kind of media's yeah. making people think. Yeah, shocking. So that was the artist's job centre and that's what that was about. I mean that whole concept of when you when general society think of art, they think of someone painting something. But you're right, yeah. everything is art. Yeah, the films is... we're watching, the music we're listening to, 100%. some of the food we're eating is art. Oh, in, definitely, everything around us, art's ingrained. I had the same sort of battle with the nighttime economy. You might remember mm. I did a load of lobbying for that because yeah, yeah. the sort of elite only saw theatre. 
they didn't see nightclubs as a thing. So they oh, were trying okay. to save the theatres, but not any nightclubs because they didn't think nightclubs had any sort of relevance. And they sort of told everyone to retrain. And w- the hospitality sector is still struggling from that now. Like yeah, if you yeah. go out and ask anyone, there's a massive staffing issue. Mm, mm. So we've got the least amount of people unemployed in history, I believe. Okay. But we've got no no one wanting to work in hospitality. Mm. And that's because a lot of them have retrained. Because oh, wow. obviously we got we hit them. so hard, yeah, and the furlough didn't come out for ages, so a lot of them lost their jobs. And if you think of it like this, Stuart, if you were working till 3 a.m. every night dealing with drunks yeah, and on not, on not the best pay, you then suddenly had to retrain as an estate agent. Mm. You're now working really nice sociable hours, nine to five. You've got yeah. your weekends back, your evenings back. You can now build a relationship, have a family. You're not going to go back working nights for less money. No, once you get it. So kind of once we lost them, we lost them. So there's this sort of like mm. issue in that sector that we're kind of dealing with now at the moment, picking up the pieces, which I think it will carry on for a little bit until yeah. we make it look f- like, you know, that you can have a career in that sector. Yeah, it might need to, to rethink itself a little bit. needs to remarket itself a little bit. Mm. But it is tough. It is tough. Anyone that's aspiring to become an artist. Yeah. What kind of advice would you give them if they were kind of like trying to break through and let's say they're they're 18, they're studying something else at uni, they're doing art secretly at home like <laughs> you've done because they don't want to tell anyone. You know, is, is there like a, a bit of advice that you'd give to someone, an aspiring artist, or advice you'd given to yourself if you could go I think, back? I think the main thing is about finding your own voice and the truth in the work because all the career stuff you can do later. And there'll be a point where you have to show people the things. But really, when you're young, you need to be really cultivating that. And it's not a part-time thing. It's like an all-or-nothing thing. No one gets really good at something. Even if you've got a talent, without working on it, really, really hard to. Skills are kind of built over time by showing up every day, getting it wrong, getting it right, carrying on, fighting with yourself, wrestling with it. And you have to be doing that. And the best artists are the ones that are showing up to do that. And and some of them are still doing it when they're eighty years old, and yeah. that's what you know. It's what I want. I want to still be doing it when I'm eighty, right? So, I think what you're saying there is really resonates with me, and I'm sure it will with a lot. And it can be applied to everything. So, effectively, what you're saying is, whether it's art or anything you're doing, you need to be truthful to yourself. Yeah, hundred percent. And you have to choose something that you, that you're actually going to be willing to show up for when it's really hard and it doesn't go very well. Yeah, because otherwise you're just going to bail out. And that's where the enjoyment comes in, right? Because as soon as it gets tough, if you're not, if you don't really have a passion for it or enjoy it, that's when a lot of people quit anything in life. Yeah, because yeah. everything's fun in the beginning yeah. until the tough work comes. Yeah, exactly. And and all the growth, you, you grow really quickly at the start of any new thing. But it's how are you five years in? When the novelty's worn off, you know. Yeah, for sure. Some of your work is quite out there, quite controversial. You've got the Tiffany blue paint. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask you, where do you think the difference lies between liberation and copyright infringement? Oh, my gosh. You know what okay. I mean? So you've yeah, got, of like, You've obviously, you do a lot of work for um, art for thought-provoking and liberating art, and it should be for everyone, and that's kind of your stance. And then yeah. where's the limitation for you where it then crosses over to potentially copyright or infringement or anything like that stealing stuff yeah <laughs> um, or well, stealing stuff well picasso said great artists steal and um, did he say that yeah he did say that and i don't think he's wrong i mean there's nothing new under the sun i agree with this i've read this somewhere else so there's nothing new so on the other side if tiffany can market at me and can put banners everywhere i look and advertise to me then why can't i use that 
and remix that and be involved in that because for too long these people have been showing up and want the best of both worlds yeah so like you can buy me but you can't really be involved well i think that's kind of wrong so i like the idea that artists can express themselves with whatever they want and i think art's a different category of things and like i said i think art's really important Mm -hmm. so i think you know whether people paint with tiffany blue or not doesn't change how many rings Tiffany are going to sell this Christmas. So they really shouldn't have a problem with that. It's copyright infringement when I start selling rings that say Tiffany on them or little charm bracelets. It's a colour. It's not accessible for everyone. I agree with you. How is it affecting them if someone makes a painting in that blue? To know what these big corporates are like. Yeah, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me, I do. Have you had any drama from that? Uh, Not from Tiffany, but I've had drama, yeah. Yeah. You don't mind that, do you? bit of controversy yeah i mean what do you do i mean i believe in what i believe you know yeah i rate that i do respect that art like anything when you're expressing yourself is is all very subjective right and it breeds opinions how do you deal with any negative feedback on your work or have you had any negative feedback on your yeah i think i think nowadays with with trolls and internet you know you see it much more yeah and it's much more immediate um but the problem is that people online with social and stuff, they have such short attention spans. They don't really know everything. You know, they may know one aspect of it. And what I find is the most criticism I get is when I don't behave how they think I am. So in their mind, I'm within these parameters. So the other day I made some T-shirts with a friend of mine and I thought they were funny and I thought they were artworks and I thought they were accessible. And the Stuart Semple they had in their mind would never do that. So how dare you break the idea I have of you? So how do I deal with it? If I'm totally honest, sometimes I take it way too personally and it eats me up and I care. Yeah. And I know I shouldn't. And it's not cool to say that. Oh, I don't care. I just ignore it and I carry on. No, I think it's real. But I care about my work and um, I don't actually want to upset people with my work. And, you know, I suppose I do want it to be liked and I wish I didn't, but I'd be dishonest if I said I didn't care because I do. I respect that. And like, if we look at what you said earlier, you've, you've given your life to it. Like you're very passionate about it, as in art. You know, yeah. you've made a bond of yourself that you're going to do this for the rest of your life. You're naturally going to have some passion for that yeah. particular subject that you're doing. Mm. Do you think? I mean, I was going to ask you: Is there anything you've put out that you thought was really good that backfired? But you've answered that the question. Yeah. The, the t-shirts. Oh, it Everyone's got an opinion <laughs> on everything I make. You do you know? think there's a, a cancel culture in art, like there is in the celebrity world? Yeah. Have you ever had any of that kind of? I've seen it. I mean, it hasn't happened to me, but I think I think we're at a time where there's a higher moral standard that's being imposed across the board. And I actually don't think it's cancel culture. I think it's consequence culture. Interesting. And I, and I think if you're going to show up and act like an idiot to your community and do the things that you shouldn't be doing and say the things you really shouldn't be saying, maybe there should be a consequence. Wow. I like so, that. That's a radical way of looking at it. But if we're talking about social media as being social, we're at a house party and you come in and you start saying racist stuff, I might ask you to leave. And perhaps that's fine. And maybe we should be doing that. I agree with that. I agree with that on on the extremes that examples you've given. Yeah. But what about the things where, because it's a funny old space at the moment. Yeah, Yeah. What about the things where you are just voicing your opinion on a particular thing without using anything as extreme let's say as racism or okay. or thing and but someone else is still getting offended by that mm. do you see what i mean like where do you where do you draw the line because i feel like we're in this turmoil state at the moment where 
no one's really being honest publicly. Mm. I feel well, people aren't being as honest as they what they're thinking. They're not saying, whereas we used to do that a decade ago. Mm, well, I think the thing is that discomfort is good, and not agreeing is actually a really good thing. There's growth in that. Yeah, there's growth in that. So at a lesser level where we're not being overtly. Yeah, as long as it's not harmful and exactly. actually like So at hate. that point, I think we're talking about freedom of speech, which is a different thing. So I think there is a line where it becomes hate. But before it becomes hate, it's freedom of speech. And then that line is quite subjective own. though, isn't it? It is. And it, and it also... It's different people, for you and different for me. Exactly. And people really over-personalise it. So, mm. and I don't know your lived experience. So you may come in contact with something I've made and it really, really upsets you. So we had, um, in one of the big shows at Giant, we had these suicide vests. They're made of bronze. They were by Jake and Dinos Chapman. Very important. Mm. Amazing bits of work, really poignant and certainly not celebrating you know, suicide um, mm -hmm. bombers at all. In fact, the opposite, drawing our attention to it and, and making a point about it, which is what art should do. But a local MP's brother had been killed by someone who'd worn such a vest and his experience was completely different and he wanted to cancel the show and he wanted it shut down. So it triggered him. Absolutely. And how do you judge that? So, th difficult. so that's the murky territory where, where we now get... Now, now fall into some. Did you have to cancel that show? No, he didn't cancel the show. I mean, obviously, one, it's it? horrendous what he's been through, and yeah. you know, there's no lack of understanding there for him. But it wasn't the place to have that discussion. I didn't think that is interesting. Raising attention through art is something you do. Mm. I spoke to a friend of mine earlier that. I said I had you on the show, and he was like, you've got to ask him, you've got to ask him his opinion on this. And I said, all right, what is it? Because obviously I'm not all together with the art world. And he said, the anti-oil protesters last week, yeah, they yeah. threw a tin of Heinz soup over a Van Gogh painting. Right. He was like, I don't think, you know, he goes, it's a really important subject and it should be dealt with. But he said, I don't think they've done it the right way. Ask him his thoughts. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you've heard about it because yeah, it's, it's your world. What are your thoughts on that? Do you, think they've, do you think those anti-protesters have gone about that the right way? No, I don't. I think they've done it completely wrong. I totally agree with their cause. Yes, you know, that's kind of what he said. There's no doubt there that that's, that's right. The, the truth is, flowing tomato sauce, a uh, great artwork in my opinion, and one that actually changed my life, like I've got a personal relationship with that work, is, is probably the wrong way to go about it. You know, we're not going to fight climate change through that. I mean, they're, they're unrelated things. So the problem we have with with some art that looks like it's about an important issue is that we we accept bad art because it's about a good cause so for example a really bad painting that might be about how black lives matter we're not allowed to say this is a bad artwork because it's about a good cause so oh, yeah. actually the cause is good but you can be a rubbish artist talking about a good cause yeah. and we need to be able to differentiate just because something's politically right or morally right, doesn't mean that the art expression of it is therefore good art. And we find that with the Van Gogh thing, just because I, they chucked it, I totally agree with the oil thing, but actually that's not the way to articulate yeah. the argument. So it's a bad action, but a good cause, and we see a lot of that. We are, especially recently, over the last few days, I think we've seen the hands being glued to tarmac, we've seen the milk being poured in supermarkets yeah. and you know, when there's people out there that can't afford to eat. Yeah. So the cause is correct, but the way they're going about it is wrong. And it's actually probably creating a divide. Yeah. And I think um, there's nothing wrong with a bit of good civil disobedience. Yes. Some, you know, a bit of mischief making. I agree. And I a agree. Bit of a t you know, I'm totally all for that. And me. But you, you, you do it in a way 
that's slightly different. And, and I've done these things a lot. And you can point attention to something or hold a mirror up to something in, in perhaps a humorous, whimsical, empowering mm. way. And I find then you, you kind of have conversations with people who can actually change stuff. No one's going to talk to the people who threw the Heinz thing at the thing and have a meaningful discussion about how we might be able to change things because they're going to think they're idiots. I agree. And it starts to build resent. Yeah. So even though, and then anyone you meet that are fighting that cause, you link them to that particular incident and you start to sort of like resent the whole thing when you shouldn't because the cause is really important and we should be dealing with it. And it detracts from what you're trying to do. What's your one favourite bit of art that, I'll ask two parts of this question. Favourite bit of art you've done and a favourite bit of art you feel in history ever that's been oh, done? This is really difficult, isn't it? Um, it's a broad broad question. Yeah, but I mean, I was things curious. that I've done, I don't, this is, I don't really like much of my stuff. <laughs> really? Yeah, like in all honesty. <laughs> so, so you're quite a tough critic on yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's really harsh, yeah. I'm not so I, I'm trying to think. Um, so you, you're not really happy with any of the stuff you do normally. You always think it could be better. Yeah, that's why I, make another one right because I, if i if i've made the best painting in the world i'd bother i'd quit <laughs> well yeah there's a couple of things i kind of like i think the first one i made after the near-death experience is important to me mm-hmm. and i want to keep it close and i want to have it and i would never sell it but i don't think it's great but it's kind of important so probably that sentimental one, yeah 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 i'm attached to it yeah and then things other people have made i mean there's so much and different things resonate at different times is um, there one piece that you could <sighs> buy, steal, borrow, take, whatever that you haven't put as like the on top of your mantelpiece and think that's the one I want. Physical I bit of art. I don't know because I think well, not really. this is, this is going to sound weird, but I don't, this is going to sound really weird. <laughs> I don't think art is an object. I think art's an experience. Interesting, so, yeah. So the exp- I've stood in front of a David Hockney swimming pool painting and I've cried, real tears. Hmm. I've also stood in front of that painting on another day and felt absolutely nothing. So I don't feel like I need to own it and put it over my... Got it. But you just want to be able to visit it and see it when, totally. you, when you feel you need to. Yeah, yeah. So if I could choose anything, I'd probably choose Tate Britain. Yep. Because I can go there and I like the environment and I can really look at art. I'm with you. Yeah. That makes sense. That I completely sense. swerved the question, but no, I can't answer no, it. No, it completely makes sense because actually it also partly explains this whole mindset you have about art being accessible for everyone yeah so you're not like you know because you've got some of these collectors that have probably got some of the nicest pieces in the world hidden away in yeah storerooms or lockers or safes you know just gaining money as opposed that they should be and this is what kind of brad was saying you know these things should be shown people should be able to see them feel them and, and look at them sort of thing yeah yeah i mean that was the story of my life for 20 years i made a series of things and we had a show and then two or three rich people would buy it and then it would disappear and I just can't yeah. live with that. Are you not open to that as much anymore? So if someone came along and said, I really like this piece, Stuart, I want to buy it, and it's going to go to my house in Monaco and no one's going to see it, would you I almost turn the money down because you'd want the art visible now? Proper, proper, oh, it depends who they are. and you know, If they're going to really live with it and love it, then that's one thing. But you know, if it's some sort of big foundation that have got a database of 200 million artworks, probably less yeah. interested in in that i don't make enough stuff anyway in a year to be that open to yeah. to that anymore really what's the future old for you i don't know i'm just keep doing it just keep making art yeah whatever happens if the world does something i'll make something in response i suppose and <laughs> <laughs> 
I like that. I like that. Yeah. Stuart, thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. It's genuinely been so nice to chat cool. to you. Good. Real good insight into sort of like all that creativeness behind and, and, the, yeah. and the man behind the man, if yeah. you know what I mean. Mm. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Please remember to subscribe on your favourite platform and follow the journey on social media.